me, woman. We're unified as a unit. Look at the adjective. Play. All right, you and I will hook up a little bit later on. Unbelievable. Nobody cares, especially us. I don't know if I want to talk about the monkey or the grinder. Before the hands in the pen, you go. I'm in the zone, buddy. Woman, I thank you very much. Jimmy Hart gets to go home with a WCW heavyweight champion of the world. This ain't the end. I'm going to hurt the man that did this to me. I just went back to the toilet to relieve myself. And we're going to categorize, categorize everybody. I appreciate your concern, Deborah McMichael. You look just terrific tonight. Good coffee, boy. Nobody cares. I don't care. You don't care. Nobody cares. Does a guy have hair? Hello, Nitro Maniacs. Welcome to another jam-packed episode of Nitro Mania. My name is Adam. I'm your host, and this is the show where I'm pretty sure the giant is still going on about the size of Ted DiBiase's house. This is episode 52 of Nitromania, meaning that had I been able to put out one episode every week, this would be our one-year anniversary, more or less. Also, there is now one episode for every white key on a standard piano keyboard, one episode for each card in a standard deck of playing cards without the jokers, and I think it's time we have a little rock lobster down at the Love Shack, don't you? Last week on the show, the fourth member of the NWO was revealed as the giant came to ringside and destroyed the horseman and the Dungeon of Doom. Nick Patrick continues to be a twat. Macho Man got spray-painted yellow. And that's about it, really. No, wait, Sting stole a police car. It is Monday, September 9th, 1996, and we are live from Columbus, Georgia. The go-home show for Fall Brawl, so stick around for my announcement of who my special guest will be for next week's episode. This is the Civic Center in Columbus. This is not only the first wrestling event televised from this arena, but is almost certainly the first wrestling event ever at this arena as it opened on August 9th, 1996, a mere 30 days prior. The saddest thing, though, we will never return to this arena on this podcast. While there have been a number of events filmed here, WWE began using the arena after shutting down WCW, this is the only Nitro or pay-per-view to take place here. Sad. So let's make the most of our only shot, shall we? As I said, we are live from Columbus, Georgia, on the banks of the Chattahoochee River. Tony welcomes us to Nitro, and we go to ringside following Pyro. I'm pretty sure Larry is wearing this same ugly shirt from two weeks ago, just now with a jacket over it. We are reminded that the Giant is the fifth member of the NWO. We are shown the footage of Ted DiBiase arriving and then leaving shortly thereafter, and then footage of the Giant's turn. Tony reminds us that there's still another NWO member to be revealed as they still haven't told us who the fourth man in War Games will be, since the Giant is already taking on Macho Man at Fall Brawl. He then sends us to the ring. Your opening contest on Nitro this evening, it is Pat Tanaka taking on Super Callow in a double debut here on Nitromania. We start with some fast-paced cruiserweight offense interspersed with Callow fixing and adjusting his hat that he refuses to take off. Meanwhile, outside, there are a bunch of kids wearing NWO shirts carrying boxes of flyers. Back inside, Tanaka avoids a dive and kicks Callow in the jaw. He hits a crossbody for two, then catches a Hurricane Rana attempt into a powerbomb. He puts Callow on the top buckle, but this proves to be his downfall as Callow counters, I guess? A gut-wrench superplex by 
I guess, moving his weight in the air on top of Tanaka and smushing him into the canvas for three. Fun. Backstage, Gene... Pull up your socks and get ready. ...is with Rick Steiner. Rick is insistent that they could have beaten Luger and Sting last week if it weren't for Nick Patrick. Luger... Oh! ...appears. Apparently, they're having a singles match tonight, and Luger's going to win. Then we get a paid announcement shilling the new NWO t-shirt. We go back to WCW Pro for the debut of Glacier. Now, as you'll remember, the original promos told us that Glacier would be debuting in July of 1996, but that never happened. Instead, we got the NWO and Hogan's heel turn, and so Glacier got put on the back burner, so to speak. Common thought is that with the shoot-esque invasion angle of the NWO, a Mortal Kombat character would feel out of place. So I guess you could say that Glacier's July debut fell victim to climate change. Thanks, Henry. Yet another debut here as the amazing French Canadians that that's actually their team name. Jacques Rougeau and Carl Ouellette, you may know them under different names, are taking on the Nasty Boys. I wasn't immediately sold on the amazing French Canadians, but since the Nasties aren't facing public enemy again tonight, I approve. Jacques grabs a microphone and demands that everyone stand up as they sing the Canadian National Anthem. They are quickly interrupted by the Nasties, rude, and we get a shot of the kids handing out those NWO signs in the crowd. Larry wanders off to accost one of these children. He takes the kid's stack of papers and throws it on the ground, but takes one of them back to Tony, and we can see that it has the NWO logo at the top and says, You haven't seen bad, but it's coming. So... I think it's fairly obvious that Johnny B. Bad is the next member of the NWO. Anyway, the Nasty Boys win after Nobbs hits Ouellette with the Quebec flag since they're losing. Faces. We go to Gene in the ring with the Nasties, unfortunately. Gene reminds us that last week they attacked Harlem Heat during an interview. Sags tells us that they're with WCW since WCW has the tag titles and that's all they care about. Nobbs also pledges their allegiance to WCW. And we go to break. Do you like scary stories? If so, then listen to the Shadowvane Podcast, where you'll find original radio drama series and classic tales of terror brought to life with fantastic voice acting and eerie music and sound effects. For more information on our first full series, Progenics Labs, or our current story, 1692 The Risen, visit shadowvane.net or listen to us on the Questionable Endeavor Network. Listen in the dark, if you dare. We come back for an opening bell. Tony tells us this is a hold-for-hold wrestling match, quote-unquote, between Scott Norton and Sergeant Craig, and he does not further elaborate. But he does tell us that Ice Train has a submission match this Sunday at Fall Brawl against Scott Norton. He eventually explains that there are no pins here you have to give up, so... It's a submission match. Don't know why you couldn't have just said that in the first place, Tony. Anyway, Ice Train appears and throws in the towel to the protestations of Teddy Long when Norton has Pittman in an armbar. Ice Train and Scott Norton jaw at each other and Norton leaves. Craig is angry at Ice Train and nothing else comes of it. That was necessary. We go back to Gene in the locker room with Lex Luger, Arn Anderson, and Ric Flair. Flair wants to know where Sting is. Luger gives some pathetic excuse that Flair doesn't believe. Mongo and Benoit appear, and Mongo yells about rats deserting the ship. Lex, again, promises that Sting is in the building and that he will be there at war games. 
We come back from break for an extended crowd shot as they eventually take us to footage from Clash of the Champions and Eddie taking the Lord of the Ring ring from DDP. Enter Joe Gomez as Larry defends Nick Patrick for giving DDP his belt to whip Chavo with a few weeks ago. Joe is facing off against Juventud Guerrera tonight. Mike Tenay has suddenly appeared. He tells us that Juventud is only 20 years old. Fuck. Joe Gomez is not a good opponent for Juventud, as he is not suited for the fast-paced cruiserweight wrestling style, and he's also too heavy to properly sell the maneuvers. If you want to see a couple very awkward botches, watch this match. Juventud wins with a twisting springboard splash, and we go to Gene, who is thankfully not interviewing Juventud this week. Unfortunately, he is interviewing Nick Patrick, who takes us back to the DQ finish to the tag match last week. Patrick insists that Luger intentionally struck him, says he's just following the rule book. Gene has it out for him. Luger should be suspended for chasing him out of the parking lot, etc., etc. Gene again accuses Nick Patrick of owning things he can't afford, so Nick threatens to sue him. We then go outside, where the actual NWO members are in the parking lot, flyering cars. DiBiase is talking to someone in a limo. This Saturday night, DDP versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Rick Steiner versus Kurosawa, he's still around, plus Lex Luger, Scott Norton, Chris Benoit, the Nasty Boys, and more. Enter Rick Steiner as Tony wonders if perhaps Luger and Nick Patrick conspired to have the tag match thrown out last week. Luger enters and Tony begins to wonder if Sting is actually here. Tony then sends us to break. Hey, Atta, do you like anime? I do like anime. What about you? I love it. Well, if you love it so much, why don't you marry it, you piece of shit? We kind of did marry it. We did. By making a podcast? It ain't a healthy marriage. It controls our lives. And that podcast is the Reanimator Pod. That's R-E-Animator Pod. And you can hear new episodes every Monday. And here's a little taste. It's Alice in Wonderland meets Inception with an acid-infused EDM rave twist. I like it. Is what I wish I could say. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the I shot my low too early there. <laughs> Hotro then asked Yuma, are you turned on? <laughs> Not in that deep a register. <laughs> but that's what she asked her. Are you turned on? Turned on yet? <laughs> well, guys, are you turned on yet? If not, I'll keep going. All right. Today, we are going to start. <laughs> well, I, I We're going to start snoozing. I tried to make a dramatic pause. We come back for the opening bell. The purple stripes on Steiner's singlet make it look like he's wearing women's underpants on the outside of his gear. Just saying. He's also wearing mismatched boots. Apparently that's a thing. The dynamite appears as Rick uses some mat wrestling maneuvers against Lex. Tony sends us to hour two. Eric Bischoff welcomes us to hour two and then asks a question of Mike Tanay, whose headset isn't on. The match continues boringly until Nick Patrick runs out, gets Luger's attention, and tells him he's needed out back. Luger chases Patrick out of the room, and we cut to the parking lot in a shot of DiBiase talking into a darkened limo. They very obviously play clips from previous Sting promos to try to get us to believe that it's actually Sting in the limo. This is not well done at all. Luger confronts DiBiase until Sting gets out of the limo and attacks Luger, then the rest of them join in and leave Luger laying in the rain. DiBiase gets a couple boots in, then tells his driver and Hogan to pick Luger up so he can kick him some more. Luger fights off the driver. Again, it is pouring rain. Bischoff reminds us that the crowd in the arena can't see what's happening. And, I don't know, maybe you should do something about that, Mr. Executive Producer. 
Back at the desk, Bischoff tells us what just happened. Bischoff says he's hearing from security now that they don't know the exact location of the NWO, despite them just being on camera. And Bischoff sends us basically to a recap of every major plot point from last week. He then reminds us that the crowd in the arena couldn't see what happened outside and then shows us again. All told, this takes about 15 minutes and the crowd saw none of it. They must have been bored to death. I will say with hindsight that that's obviously not Sting. We know now, 22 years later, that Sting was never in the NWO. This is the so-called NWO Sting, very appropriately named. But watching this now, I can 100% understand anyone who was fooled by that. The camera stayed just far enough away that you could see a tall guy with face paint in the Sting robe and tights. You would absolutely go, fuck, that's Sting! Honestly, I think they lucked out with the rain as well because the falling rain plus the drops that were getting on the camera also helped to hide the fake Sting. A-plus job by all involved in that ruse. Okay, okay, A-minus. The audio of Sting talking to Ted DiBiase in the limo was not good, as I said before. Here, t- take a listen. Hold on, let's listen. There's DiBiase. I'm tired of this stuff, this DTA stuff. Oh, no. Don't trust anybody. He's got to go. You know why? What? You better learn to trust somebody right trust now. Oh, uh, no. Trust the trust trust we got no way out. It's either you trust him or you don't. Look at me in the eye. You know I'm... What in the world is no, going on? I know on? I can trust you. Now look I know I can trust you. I know that you can trust him. I, I know I can trust him, too. Look, I'm looking at him. I'm looking at you. Everything's going to be okay. No! A very somber Eric sends us to break, which, of course, is the NWO t-shirt ad again. I didn't mention it before because it's legit only a 15 or 30 second spot, but Kevin Nash yelling, buy the shirt, is weird. And then he ends it with, all proceeds go to the Ric Flair Retirement Fund, which is kind of funny. Back to the arena, one of the limos has left, and a cadre of WCW wrestlers, including Brian Nobbs, the amazing French Canadians, Rick Steiner, Lex Luger, and Big Bubba, among others, are searching the other limo and looking for the NWO. Meanwhile, back in the arena, enter Billy Kidman. He is taking on Loch Ness. Ah, fuck, I did it again. Rey Mysterio Jr. Eric is still sad, so they give us a crowd shot of a bunch of college-aged dudes waving their NWO signs in the camera. I would bet anything that the combined age in the ring for this cruiserweight title match is lower than the age of Ric Flair. Okay. Rey Mysterio is 21 at this point. Billy Kidman is 22. And as I said a couple of episodes ago, Ric Flair is 47. So you can all go to paypal.me slash rundown wrestling and send me my winnings. Sound good? Good. A springboard molly go round pins Kidman after a surprisingly short match. Rey Mysterio Jr. is still your WCW cruiserweight champion. And Bischoff sends us to break. I'm pro wrestler the Kingpin Brian Malonis. And I'm referee Mike Crockett from the wrestling podcast about nothing. I spend most of my weekends half naked in front of throngs of people at VFW halls and Elks Lodges. And I've watched, not that there's anything wrong with that, every week, listen to us tear down the curtain and tear down each other in the process. It's the WPAN. Nothing more, nothing less. New episodes Mondays on your favorite podcast app or on our website thewpan.com Enter the faces of fear as Bischoff continues to express his disbelief at Sting's heel turn. They are facing public enemy. Well, at least it's a change of pace. They enter, of course, with a table. We go to the patently useless WCW split screen as Barbarian and Rocco fight in the ring and Meng and Grunge fight outside. Then the leprechaun appears. Bischoff says, who's this? Multiple times, despite the leprechaun having appeared twice before on Nitro now. We then go back to Gene in the locker room with the Horseman and Lex Luger during the match. 
Anderson reminds us that Sting was the franchise, that he was one, the one constant in WCW since WCW came into existence. Luger's pissed. Gene's confused. Sunday will be interesting. Lex basically threatens to beat the shit out of his Sting at his house and leave. Flair flares. Back to the ring, and somehow this match is still going. I guarantee you that that promo took place in the back and during a match because the fans would not have had any idea what they were talking about if it had happened in the ring. We then get a spot where Johnny Grunge tries a noggin knocker on the faces of fear, and they no-sell it. Bischoff states that Grunge must not have done his homework. They whip Johnny into the ropes, and Johnny bails so Rocco can come from behind and bulldog both men. Think about that real careful-like. What they just told us is that Meng and Barbarian's skulls are impervious to attack from other skulls, but their heads can get hurt by the canvas. What fucking sense does that make at all? Time's up, no sense. No fucking sense at all. Bischoff tells Sting to stick it as Barbarian lays Rocco on the table in the aisle. Rocco avoids the splash, however, and Barbarian goes through the table to the floor from the top rope on his own. Suddenly there is another table, no idea where that came from, which is set up in the ring. Rocco moonsaults Meng through this table. Meng sells this for approximately 15 seconds, and by the letter of the law, Nick Patrick doesn't call for the disqualification. Meng locks some kind of claw hold on Rocco's face, and Patrick calls for the bell. During the replays, Bobby accidentally calls Meng Haku, and then just abruptly stops talking. Gene is in the ring with the dungeon. Conan is apparently in the dungeon now as he's in the ring with these guys, and I think that's Max Muscle? I think? Jimmy says that people have been yelling at him about creating the giant, and now they have to stop it. Bubba yells at Glacier again. Relevant. Conan rambles about something. Sullivan then says that if Macho Man wants to pay back the favor of the Faces of Fear helping him to the back last week, he needs to take out Tenta this week. Hang on. That's your main event? The Macho Man versus John Tenta? Sweet Jesus. Gene sends us to break. We get one last paid announcement. This one's not the shirt ad. It's them talking about Ted DiBiase and Ted DiBiase talking about them. DiBiase says if the NWO wins war games, they want their own segment on WCW TV to showcase their own talent. And Hall, or maybe Nash, adds something about having NWO tag team titles. We also get one last fall brawl commercial before we go back to the desk. They remind us of Sting again and then send us to the ring. Enter John Tenta. Enter Macho Man. Macho Man versus the Giant isn't a match for the belt. It isn't for any kind of future title shot. When Giant joined the NWO and Sting did as well, you couldn't have just added them to the War Games match? Anyway, Tenta starts off on the offensive, attacking Savage as he enters the ring. In case you were wondering, Tenta still has half his head shaved. For no reason at all at this point. Bischoff then covers the company's ass by addressing Heenan's accidentally calling Meng Haku earlier by assuring us that it was just an accident, that Meng is Meng, and that while Haku was the name he wrestled under when he was in the WWF, he is not employed by the WWF or affiliated them in any way whatsoever. Kinda awkward. 
Anyway, apparently this is a no-disqualification match, as Macho Bales grabs a chair, hits Tenta with it outside the ring repeatedly, and referee Randerson does nothing. Back in the ring, he hits two diving elbows as Teddy Long runs to ringside to yell at Macho Man that the NWO are back and he needs to come back with him. They depart, and we go to the parking lot where they arrive just as... <clears throat> Excuse me. They depart and we go to the parking lot where they arrive just as one of the limos is leaving. The second limo is still there, so a bunch of WCW wrestlers attempt to deface it. Unfortunately, it is apparently impossible to spray paint a car when it's soaking wet, thanks to at least two hours of rainfall. We go back to the desk where Heenan gives an impassioned speech about unity within the ranks of WCW to face down the evil that is the NWO. Mike Tenay agrees and says it's time for WCW to win the war. Bischoff begins to speak, but commentary is overtaken by the horseman. Bobby gives Arn his headset. Fuck you, Eric. And Arn gets to give an impassioned speech. Eric tries to attack again, but Flair takes the headset and flares. Bischoff tries a third time, and Flair returns just to fuck with him some more. Bischoff finally gets his feelings out. I cannot help but think of the giant last week attempting to describe Ted DiBiase's house. We get a replay of Lex Luger being beaten down. Why would you show that again, especially as the last thing before we go off the air? I gotta tell you, with the in-ring action, this could have been any other episode of Nitro. None of the matches tonight did anything to advance any stories going into the pay-per-view on Sunday. Normally, that is something I would complain about, but holy shit, the rest of the show did all the talking necessary to get people to buy into Fall Brawl. If I was watching WCW in 1996 and I watched this episode of Nitro and I had not yet purchased Fall Brawl, I would have been begging my dad to buy it. I mean, come on, Sting just turned on WCW. Sting! We're going into war games in six days, and we don't even know who Team WCW is going to be, and we're not even 100% sure who Team NWO is going to be. I mean, it could be Hall, Nash, Hogan, and Sting, but it could just likely be a seventh guy. I have to say, honestly, from a story perspective, from a creative perspective, this may just be the best episode of Nitro we've seen yet. Now, as I said before, this show really suffered from an in-ring perspective. Not a single match tonight stood out as anything spectacular. Even the extremely promising Rey Mysterio-Billy Kidman match got squandered by only going a minute and 38 seconds. And I'm going to repeat that because that bears repeating. The WCW Cruiserweight Championship match, the title match, lasted a minute 38. It was the only title match on the show, and it was the shortest match on the show. A minute 38. I, I really can't even recommend anything as a must-watch this week. I honestly feel bad for the fans who were in attendance in Columbus because all the entertaining stuff happened where they couldn't see it. They got a mediocre wrestling show while we at home got all the drama and chaos. I feel like they must have been sitting there at the end of the Steiner-Luger match thinking, huh, that was weird. And then at the end of the night when it happened with Macho as well, just being like, oh, come on! Cage Match has this episode at a 4.56 out of 10, and while I can't specifically disagree, I do feel that maybe that's a bit low. Not a lot, but a bit. The show brought in a TV rating of 3.7. Before we move on, there is some more business to attend to. September 9th, 1996 is the last appearance of Mr. John Tenta on this show. The former Shark would have two more matches in, on WCW Saturday night in October, and then a dark match on Nitro in July of 99 but had no more televised Nitro appearances following this one. Now, I'm not going to lie. 
This is a difficult one for me. I mean, we put the Yeti into the rafters for the sheer ridiculousness of his gimmick, and this is a gimmick, if you can call it that, that started with a promo where a guy told us he isn't a fish. However, with that said, I'm still not 100% sure I'm ready to forgive the man for that silver dollar on a pole match. So I tell you what I'm going to have to do, because I can't decide. I'm going to have to throw this out there to you, the listeners. Head on over to my Twitter feed, at NitromaniaPod, where you will find a poll on whether or not Mr. Tenta, the not-fish, deserves to go into the rafters to forever be immortalized in the Nitromania Hall of Fame, or if he'll go out with the trash to be gnawed upon by Raccoon Reigns for the rest of eternity. So go do that. Okay, welcome back. Over on the USA Network, we are three weeks old from Wheeling, West Virginia, with Monday Night Raw, episode 175. Farouk Assad defeats Savio Vega to move on to the second round of the Intercontinental Title Tournament. Sonny guarantees victory until Sid, Farouk's second-round opponent, comes to the ring. They don't fight. Instead, we get get-well messages for Ahmed Johnson from yesterday's episode of Action Zone. An ad for in-your-house mind games, then Carlos Cabrera, of all people, interviews Shawn Michaels in the ring. Kevin Kelly then tells us that Shawn Michaels is in Playgirl. We get an ad for the debut of Livewire the day before mind games. I fucking loved Livewire, you guys. The Stalker defeats T.L. Hopper. During that match, Owen and Pillman promise a family reunion at mind games. JR apologizes for prematurely breaking the story of the return of Razor and Diesel, but then says he'll have more information later tonight. So which is it, JR? We get a recap of Mr. Perfect stealing Hunter's escorts, then a recap of Mark Henry and Jerry Lawler's feud, if you want to call it that. Crush defeats Freddie Joe Floyd. We get a recap of Bob Backlund and the Iron Sheik from last week. And in your main event, The Undertaker defeated Salvatore Sincere. According to Jim Ross, this was Sincere's first loss in the WWF. This episode of Raw has a 3.67 rating on Cage Match and pulled in a TV rating of 2.4. Elsewhere, on September 9th, 1996, Colonel Sanders, famous creator of chicken that Enzo Amore wants to fuck, would have turned 106 had he not been dead for 16 years. Women's wrestler Ida Mae Martinez turned 65, Mark Schrader turned 29, June Kasai turned 22, El Intocable turned 20, and Crazy Mary Dobson, better known now as Sarah Logan, turned three. Three. God. That wraps up 1996. Let's return to 2018, shall we? If you want to see me live and in person, you absolutely can. Just come on out to the shows that I am performing on. It's as simple as that. What, you want to know when those shows are? God, you're so needy. Fine. This Saturday, September 22nd, you can find me at Elkmania Presents Aces Wild at the Beverly Salem Lodge of Elks in Beverly, Massachusetts. Then moving on to October, you can find me at the Newbury Lodge of Elks on Saturday, October 20th with Atlantic Pro Wrestling. And that is all that I have for October right now. I will find out uh, my Liberty State's date for October after I've recorded this, but before you listen to it. So that's weird time travel, isn't it? Anywho... Check out all the shows on the Questionable Endeavor Network at questandnetwork.com. Send me your feedback on the show, either by email, nitromaniapod at gmail.com, or on Twitter at nitromaniapod. And don't forget to head over to the Twitter to vote on whether or not John Tenta gets mounted and stuffed. <clears throat> Sorry, rafters or dumpster. 
If you like what we do here on the Rundown Wrestling feed and you want to be a dear, make a monetary donation at paypal.me slash rundownwrestling or sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash rundownwrestling. The first episode of my new patron-only series, The Crapshoot, just went up last week, and you can listen to it if you donate on the Patreon. All the money you donate goes right back into the show. I promise. I've checked. Troy is not expensing his internet porn addiction to the Rundown account. I swear. Now, as I've said before, this was the go-home episode for Fall Brawl, which means that the next week is our big Fall Brawl Supersode. And as always, I like to have special guests for these special episodes. Joining me next week will be a guy who's had a bit of free time on his hands over the last month and a half or so. He is a student at the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. He is a standout in promotions like Chaotic Wrestling, Liberty States Wrestling, and Lucky Pro Wrestling, among many, many others here in the New England area. And he was a participant in the 2018 Young Lions Cup down there at the Chikara Wrestle Factory in Philadelphia, an event which I was very happy to be able to attend on the first day of. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, my Nitromaniacs all joining me next week to discuss Fall Brawl 1996 and War Games the match beyond will be none other than D.L. Hurst. I am very much looking forward to having him on the program as he is a younger fellow, much younger than I, Gil, and I am interested in getting his take on all this 1996 madness. So until then, ladies and gentlemen, don't try to spray paint a limo in the rain, and D.L. Hurst and I will talk at you next time right here on Nitromania. <laughs>